So I've got a one-off, and what do I speak on? One, one um, church planter, pastor, church leader said to me, and I think quite wisely, he said, having been there, done that, planted some churches, he says, you tend to, when you're church planting, you tend to achieve less than what you first imagine in one year. And then in five years, you tend to accomplish more than you could have hoped for. So, so just hang on in there in five years, just turn around and see what God will do. And I was just reflecting on it, thinking like of all the things that God has been doing, he's been doing a deep work in this first year. Some of you, you planted with us in September. Some of you, you have gathered to us. Some of this is your first Sunday here. We're really glad that you're here with us. If you've got time after lunch, we'd love to take you out to lunch. Um, it won't be Harrods, I'm afraid. It will probably be more Pret-a-Manger, but we'll, we will pay for your lunch. We'd just love to get to know you. Um, we're a church plant that's in its very early stages. I'm, I just want to say I'm so grateful to God for the kind of foundation laying work that he's been doing in forming a community, creating friendship right across the city. It's not easy in the type of church plant that we are building, but he's been doing a great work in who we are, the values, what we want to place as priority. He's been doing a great work. And I was just reflecting on what, what are some of the things I would like to say as we close out, we're not there yet, but begin to close out. We're kind of turning around into the home straight. September is only six weeks away, by the way. Like, is that a crazy thought or not? Like kids will be going back to school in six weeks. Weird thought. Anyway, um, what are some of the things that we want to say? One pastor I once heard, he, he preached a sermon on the nine pastoral prayers that he prayed for his church and I thought wow what a cool thing maybe I could just like list out the prayers that I regularly pray for the church and I was just reflecting this what is it that actually my heart is really praying for us and I came back again and again like this little boomerang back to this passage in Luke 11 and really my heart was was this for us as a church and i think if i could sum anything up it would be this that lord would you teach us as a church plant as a one-year-old church plant as trinity church on would you teach us how to pray how, how do we pursue you how do we talk with you how do we hear from you how do we go further in and deeper in with you this is what the disciples asked after being with jesus for some time they prayed this prayer they asked this question lord would you teach us to pray and i would think most of us here if we're christians for, for any length of time we're like i know how to pray i know the lord's prayer i've been doing that since primary school like this is easy i know what to do but i think if we all stopped and just pause for a moment and reflected on our prayer life if, if we are prayers and followers of Jesus I think everyone here would say there is an element of which I would like to go deeper with God in prayer I feel like in my soul there is something more beyond me that I haven't quite yet touched and I want to get there and my heart for us is that we would be a, a praying people a praying community Every, every like, I guess, anniversaries. Tori and I just had our 12th wedding anniversary yesterday, which is kind of irrelevant to anything, but I guess I knew I'd get a woo, so that's nice. <laughs> it makes me feel good. Um, it's our anniversary coming up as a church, and these moments, they're kind of moments where you reflect, aren't they? You stop, you talk, you think, how are we doing, what's going on? And in a moment like this, think, what is it that we want to be known for? And I'm thinking, what is it that, like, over time, we will get a reputation as a church? And you can't really control your reputation, but we will, we will slowly have a reputation. People will talk about us and good or bad or whatever. I don't know. Let's hope it's good. But what is it that will be our legacy? What will be our reputation as a community of followers of Jesus in this city? There are some really cool churches in London, like probably cooler than us like no offense to all of us who are trained but like there are some really cool churches like you think well the, i don't want to hang around because i feel like very untrendy hanging around with you guys like but that that honestly is not like i don't want to be known as a cool church there are some really big churches like thousands upon thousands of people big big churches and like if we become big praise god but that's not something we're going to pursue. It's not a reputation that we want. Oh, yeah, they're just a really big church in London. There are some churches where, you know, when they're like 
the leader or the pastor or the, the primary teacher is synonymous with the church. Like you mentioned the church and the, and the leader comes to mind. Like they're just almost like one and the same. For me, if I'm honest, it, if any of those things happen for us, I would feel a slight sense of failure. Like what would I love us, our legacy, our reputation to be? I would love people when they talk about those Trinitarians, those Trinity Church London people, like those people, they pray. They seem to have something in God, a kind of passion, a kind of urgency that is sustained month after month. They are a kind of people who seem to get with God and know him in a way that I would like to. I would love our reputation to be like Jesus, where other people would come and they wouldn't be like, hey, how do you like do your website? And what's like, where's your graphics come from? And like, how do you get so, no, I would love people to come and ask us, like, would you teach us how to pray? That I would feel like that would be a win. Like people in London say like, if you want to learn how to pray, I'll point you in a, there's this community who scatter all around London. They're called Trinity Church London and they seem to know how to pray. That would be the best, that would be my first thought. You go talk to them and they might be able to teach. I would like that to be a reputation of ours. Because we need it, I think. I want it. It's interesting that um, there, are, there are studies done every now and again um, on how many people pray because you know all the statistics are we're a nation where the church attendance is declining etc etc and like who actually is praying anymore and the fascinating thing is this and this is not like a christian slant thing this is christian and uh, non-believing organizations asking across the board studies like who prays and almost always invariably the figure hovers around 50 percent 40 to 50 percent of people say they have prayed or they do pray they may not be Christian, but London is actually full of people who are praying, asking God or whoever it, that, the karma may be, but there is an awareness that there is something in prayer. So if you've come today and you're not a Christian and you're just like, I don't know, I'm just interested in spirituality. Like, actually, this is something that we are all engaged in, I would suggest. That even those one in two people you walk across as you go home today, they will have prayed or are praying something at the moment in their life. However, they define that thing that they're praying to. That actually there is something in us that wants to know something beyond us, something transcendent, something that is beyond my soul. And prayer connects me with that. And what we have here is the Christian answer to that, Lord, would there be more? Would you teach me to pray properly? So I just want to read Luke 11 and then talk for a few moments. So Luke 11 is going to come up on the screen. I'll go sideways here so you can read it. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his boldness or his consistency in asking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to good give 
Give good gifts to your children. How much more will their heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. Father, I want to ask you right now that you would stir a, a passion and an urgency in our hearts, not simply for prayer, but for your glory, for who you are, Lord. Just as we started this meeting, we are not simply into worship, we're into you, Jesus. And I want to reiterate the beginning of this moment, this teaching, Lord, we're not simply into prayer, we are into you, Jesus. And we know prayer is the very thing that gives us you. Therefore, we are passionately into prayer. So I pray, Lord, would you, as we create space in these next few minutes, would you do the work that I can't do? Would you implant something deep and lasting? Lord, I, I'm not really interested in just some excitement for this new thing that fizzles out and fades and splutters to a halt by Wednesday afternoon, Lord, but you would implant something that would be legacy making, Lord, something that would be a reputation creator in the years to come, Lord. Lord, we know that you upturned the temple in Jerusalem with righteous anger because your people were to be a people of prayer, that your house was to be a, a place of prayer for the nations and they've been turned into something utterly different. Lord, would you be welcome here and gladly look around this community and be pleased because you see a praying community. Start with me, I pray, and do it amongst us, I ask, and as those who gather to us and find Jesus because, us, because of us, Lord, would you birth a, a culture of praying people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. So I want to ask this question, why do the disciples even ask this question? Why do they come to Jesus and ask him, Lord, teach us to pray? And there are probably many different reasons, but I want to just pull out two. And the first is this amongst the disciples, that there was a personal hunger sparked in them when they saw Jesus praying. I think they saw Jesus praying and something was awakened in them and a realization came upon their heart that they didn't have what Jesus had in prayer. They were disciples who had followed Jesus for months and months and months at this stage and they had watched him praying. There's this moment in Mark 1 where we're told that Jesus woke up early in the morning before sun rose and Jesus snuck out of wherever they were before everyone else was up and he went out and he went for a long prayer walk with his father in heaven and was praying. And the disciples woke up at whatever o'clock, we don't know, had their coffee, had their breakfast and then like realized like, there's no, where's Jesus? We don't know what to do if Jesus isn't here. We don't know where we're going, left or right. We need Jesus. And so they just scattered and sent on this surf party because Jesus was praying with his father. And you've got to imagine when they got to this, wherever Jesus was, and whoever it was, Bartholomew or Philip who actually found Jesus, they would have seen his countenance after the hours of soaking in the father's presence. They would have seen the kind of vitality in his soul that would have been birthed because of this communion that he had with his father in heaven. They would have seen the kind of energy, the kind of demeanor, the kind of love, the, what oozed from him because of his time in prayer. They would have seen the kind of energized, fluent way in which he communicated with his father in prayer. And I think as they saw Jesus praying, they realized there was this gulf between his experience of prayer and their experience of prayer. If you've been in prayer meetings or you've been in church and you're interested in prayer, you might have come across people and you realize because of the way they pray that they have something in God that you don't have. You ever come across those people? And you're like, it just, I mean, I've been in prayer meetings and I've, and I've honestly like stopped and I've like opened my eyes and I've just wanted to watch this person pray because there is something that I know in my soul that they are, they are touching something in God that I may not have ever got to yet. 
there is this thing like you know that they're communicating from a depth that I've never got to yet. And I just kind of want to, and it sparks something in my soul. I'm like, Lord, I want to get to that place where they are. Would you help me get there? I want to go deeper with God. I want to know you better. I want to know you as my heavenly father. And I think this is what the disciples were experiencing. They were seeing something in Jesus that I want to pray like he prays. This is what I want for us, like people to come into our midst and whether they're Christian or not, like you guys pray, you seem to touch something deep spiritually that I want that. I, I want to learn how do you, how do you do that? What, what YouTube thing do I have to watch so that I can get what you get? I think they knew something was going on in Jesus that they didn't have. It was a hunger that was elicited sparked psalm 63 talks about a soul being satisfied as with fat and rich food i think all of us whether we're christian or not we know that feeling that inside our inner being we want to be satisfied as with fat and rich food you know that like sun post sunday lunch feeling where you've like had the full deal like the roast the potatoes everything like second helpings when you shouldn't have had it and then you go for the dessert and it's like plum pudding and you go for seconds as well and you just sit at like 3:30 like not really able to move but just very happy and you just sit there and you just like like, I am a happy man. You just like the best moments when you can lie down on a sofa and just forget what's going on. And like that feeling for your soul. I think we want that. And I think the disciples saw that Jesus had it. There was no anxiety with Jesus in his prayer. There was no, there was no like stress. He was at peace. And he had this inner vitality that just kept bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And it wasn't this tick box exercise for Jesus. It wasn't this like, oh, I prayed with the Father today. I now can get on with the rest of my life and, you know, do my thing today. Like it was this thing, this like gravitational pull that he kept coming back to this place. Like subconsciously, he kept coming back to this place. They would have watched him as they walked from town to town, sometimes days worth of walking. And I think the disciples would have been like three meters behind Jesus walking along these roads, like to Capernaum, for example. And they would have watched him just walking by himself, just communing with the Father. They would have seen the aura coming off him, just this peace about who he was. You meet those people and you're like, I want what you've got. And my heart goes like, I don't feel Christ. I'm like, Lord, I want to I pray like they pray. I want to touch God like they touch God. Do you want to get there? I do. And I think the second reason they ask this question is because they realize the need of the mission that they have been called to. Because up to this point in Luke 11, the disciples have been with Jesus for some time and they have accumulated experiences. If you become a Christian, you accumulate experiences, good and bad. Some successes, and some failures, amen? Like, yeah, we've all done good stuff, and we're like, oh, you know, that's season my life, not so good, let's try and forget that bit. And they've experienced this. They've been on mission with Jesus, and now they've experienced some stuff. They've got an accumulation of the good and the bad of following Jesus and trying to do what Jesus said. They've had some major setbacks. They have gone into some towns, into some synagogues, and they have been physically kicked out of these towns. They have tried to share the good news of Jesus with other people, and people have physically kicked them out of synagogues and towns. That hurts. If you've ever tried to live for Jesus, and you, you know that logging where you still want friends, it's not like, oh, I don't care about friends anymore, I'm just falling. No, we all still want friends, and you've got this tension like, that hurts. And they've lived with that sense of like, ah, this didn't quite work. They've, they've heard the teachings of Jesus. If you ever hear the actual teachings of Jesus, you won't be like, oh, blah, 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 that's nice Christian. No, that will lead you to fall on your knees and ask God, if you want to follow it, help me do this. Jesus said stuff like, don't just like not murder. Like that's a good thing. Tick, don't murder in your life. Like number one, like... No, 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 it's not just that. I don't want you even to feel anger in your heart because that's just the same now as murdering. You're like, 
what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to get called before the judiciary of God, like you are now being sentenced to 25 years in jail. We've got, like, you've just done the same thing as Jesus says, I don't want you just to have, not have an affair with someone else's spouse. No, no, no. I don't want you to even look with lust on someone else. You're like, oh my goodness, God. Like this kind of teaching, it brings you to your knees. You're like, I don't want you just to not like retaliate. I don't need to not punch someone. Like don't punch anybody in anger. Um, or just don't at all. Like, I just forget that. Like, I don't know why I said that. Just, it's not a good thing to do. Unless I guess you're a professional boxer in which, anyway. <laughs> of, uh, don't just not retaliate. I actually love someone by the extra mile. This kind of teaching, it leads you to, to your knees. And Lord, teach. You, you come to that point, you realize we need God for this. They had this experience where there was this boy that they were trying to help. They were praying for this little boy who had been demonically oppressed. And they were praying and they were praying and they were praying and they were failing. And you've got to imagine this moment because the whole of this village was surrounding this and they were watching the disciples. If you've ever been in a prayer meeting and someone says, hey, could you pray? And there's like 20 other people watching you pray and seeing, you're like, you know, they're wondering, is your prayer going to work or not? And you like, kind of like, please, Lord, just for my reputation as someone who can pray, like, I really want you to answer this prayer. Like, there are all sorts of human things that go on in your brain. Like, they were in this experience. They're like praying, but desperately hoping because they want the name of Jesus to be glorified and it's not working they fail you imagine that feeling and all, everyone like walking off like no oh, I told you those Jesus followers they don't really have anything in God like let's forget that and so Jesus comes and they say like we need your help can you like help? and he says this can only come out through prayer and fasting you've got to pray and pray and seek God because it's only the power of God Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in London here in the, in the 1900s in London, and uh, he spoke in 1959 for a whole year on the whole thing of revival, on of spiritual awakening, a whole year of teachings on what it would be for God to send a revival and the preparation in our hearts, because he was remembering the anniversary of a revival that had happened in Ireland in County Antrim in 1859, where four people decided to pray in a school, in a little town. And they said, we're just gonna pray that our friends would know Jesus. It was very simple. And after a year, in the early 1850s, after a year of these four people praying, they saw over 50 of their friends and family come to know the Lord Jesus and join their prayer meeting. And in 1859, a Presbyterian chapel built a chapel that could seat 1,200 people. I mean, that's a big chapel in and of itself, especially in 150 years ago, plus now. And in 1859, in March the 14th, they held a service. I don't know how many they were expecting, but over 3,000 people turned up. Before Instagram and Facebook and emails, this was word of mouth, people just spreading the word that God was doing something, and 3,000 people turned up to this chapel. At which point this spiritual awakening broke out across Ireland and it's estimated that 100,000 people became Christians because of that early prayer meeting in a school hall. Ian Paisley, if you know Ian Paisley, Protestant minister and politician, he put the still religious conservatism of Ireland down to the fact of that revival that happened 100 years ago because there was such a deep work of God that happened in the community. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he spoke about this and he called the church in London and the UK again back to this very simple act of prayer because of the need of the mission. He says this in, one, in his first message he says here is the lesson that the church so badly needs to learn at this time and it feels like he could be saying this today we are all such activists we are all so busy we are practical people we are not interested in doctrine and we must be doing something so we rush off to our activities and perhaps that is the main cause of our failure we have not stopped to consider what this kind is what is the issue at hand? We may not be aware, as we should be, of the real essence of the problem, problem which is confronting us. 
He says, you must realize that you are confronted by something that is too deep for your methods to get rid of or to deal with. You need something that can go beneath that evil power and shatter it. And there is only one thing can do that. That is the power of God through prayer. We're about a spiritual kingdom. If we were looking to sell a product, yeah, sure. We'd talk to Richard, get some marketing in place, etc. get a good website, and we'd sell some stuff. But we're not. We are building a spiritual kingdom. And a spiritual kingdom requires spiritual activities. And the chief spiritual activity that we are called to is prayer. It gets encapsulated primarily in this moment with Jesus standing on the day that he was being crucified early, early, early in the morning, just as the sun was rising. And he is standing before the pomp and the might of the Roman Empire. And Pontius Pilate is there with all the symbolism of the worldly might around him. Roman soldiers, military might, the Roman Empire is there. And he's being pushed and pushed through political means to be crucified. And there is this power play between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire going all around over Jesus' head. And Pontius Pilate asks Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? Which really is Pontius Pilate asking Jesus, are you like me? If I let you go right now, are you going to come back at me with some political force? Or with, are you going to gather an army? Are you a king like I know kings? If I let you go, what is going to happen? Are you going to come back at me with political or military force? Are you going to fight me on my terms? How should I respond to you? He doesn't know. He sees this contradiction in this person of Jesus who is eliciting so much um, conflict and yet seems to be operating on a totally different wavelength. And this is Jesus' response in, the, in front of all of this might. He says in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And he goes on to pray, Father, forgive them. The way in which the kingdom of God is built is through simple prayer in weakness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20 that the kingdom of God is not just simply talk, it's power. But that's not military power, that's not political power, that's not social media power, that's not marketing power, that is spiritual power that comes through very simple prayer. And he goes to a cross, a symbol of weakness, and prays, Father, forgive them. And in that moment of weakness, we're told, God brings to nothing the power structures of this world, and he brings to naught everything that would be, and brings about a spiritual renewal, and brings about a kingdom that is everlasting upon everlasting upon everlasting. Declared in the resurrection three days later and he's now declared as the king of all authority and he says now all authority is given to you trinity church london take up my name and pray and wield this authority that my kingdom may come in your generation and this what do we want amen we need this power i feel it like another year is coming for us our second year like Kind of feel proud as well. I guess in human terms, we're like soon to be out of nappies and that's a good thing. Um, some of us. Some of us. <laughs> Praying for Caleb later. But I feel the need, honestly. Like, I just, here's the deal. We could, and we are really going to work hard on like our social media and communication and like our e-billboards, e as it were, we're going to do that stuff. That may and probably will attract Christians. If we want to see people baptised, which we do, don't we? Yeah. We want to see more Sarahs and Emmanuels and Megans and Matts and Joels. We want to see people baptised. If we want to see people who don't know Jesus become Jesus, it's going to be through us praying. Yeah and following Jesus. We need it. And I'm just pleading with us as a community, like, I think we'll all be half satisfied if, hey, what if we're 500 people strong in five years, but we hadn't seen anyone baptized? Like, I wouldn't be happy. 
it might feel good on a Sunday, like, great, I understand that, like, boop, boop, 500 people, whatever. But would we be satisfied? Like, I, we would all know there's something. If you're not here, you're not a Christian here today, like, we, we love you. <laughs> and we're praying for the best for you. And we found the best in Jesus. And we're just asking that God would open up eyes and you might see Jesus. And we're living in such a day and age where we cannot assume that there are people queuing up to, hey, I'd like to... There are not many people out there saying, hey, I'd really like to know Jesus. Can you tell me how to know him? We need the power of God at work in our generation. We cannot rely on just doing a Sunday service and having a good website. That is not enough for us. And so Jesus speaks into these two things. And I want to just, I just want to dwell on two ideas from Jesus' instruction on prayer. I can't do all of it. Um, but he speaks to this, this need, this personal longing for more of God and the need of the mission. And he speaks to these two ideas by speaking about us approaching God as Father and then praying your kingdom come. And these two things are intimately connected. Some people are very good at like just communing with God. Like they can stick on worship music for hours and they can just sing and just be with Jesus. They, they just love to be with God. Silence, meditation, contemplation. They're like just amazing. That, that's really, some people are like, you know, type A achievers. They need to see something. I need to get something done. Like if we're going to get in military in prayer, like I'm the guy like, yeah, I'm praying, praying, praying. But what Jesus does is join these two things masterfully together. He says, if you are going to, in a sustained way, pray for the kingdom to come, if you're going to be an intercessor that lasts beyond Wednesday afternoon, because we've all heard great inspiring talks, and then like by you know, Wednesday, it's like, I haven't got any more energy for that. I'm just going to get on with my life now. If you're going to carry on in a sustained way in prayer, it has to be out of this place of intimacy with the Heavenly Father. Because the mission is actually only very simply an overflow of what God has already done in your life as we approach the Heavenly Father. That's all it is. And if we are going to live with a sustained urgency that in two years' time we are still on the edge of prayer, it's going to be because we are dwelling and communing with our Father in heaven. So I want to take this issue of our Father and then look at this thing of praying for the kingdom to come. A lot of people, they approach this bit, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The our Father's a bit like you know, the doorbell, like ding dong, hi God, I'm here. Oh, and then you walk, walk into the prayer like, okay, these are really the things that I want. Like, that's just like the gateway, like, I'm talking to you, God, like, here I am. It's like dialing his number. But actually, when Jesus says, our Father, he is saying something profound about what it is to pray as Christians. Because we are not praying to get God off our back. Some people pray like that. There's a sense in which I've got to come to church every Sunday and I've got to say some prayers or do some things because otherwise God will be increasingly cross with me and I've just got to like keep him at bay for another week. So I do my set prayers and then God's happy with me for another week. Some people pray like that. But this is not how Jesus tells us to pray and that's not how we are to approach it. That is a misunderstanding of who God is. Pete Craig, who has started this movement of 24-7 prayer rooms around the world now, and he's been teaching on prayer for 20 odd years, he says that the biggest problem with people praying is not distractions or Netflix or being too busy or anything like that. He says, from his experience, the, the biggest problem that we have with prayer is God himself. That we have a wrong view of who God is. That some people view God like this, like he's this big, infinite, X-factor, moral judge with his hand over the red buzzer, just waiting for you to do another thing wrong. Like, no, sorry, no wrong. And like, you're just waiting for like this kind of scowling divine being watching over your life, basically underlying, he's kind of frustrated that you're not more godly than you are. If that is the case, if you have any sense of like God, oh, no, no, I don't believe God's like that. No, he's on a throne. And like, but let me ask you, what, what is the picture of God's face when you come to him in prayer? Even now, when you think of the Lord, like when you lift up your gaze to him, what is his face? What is his demeanor towards you? Because if you are in Christ, anything other than a loving, generous, kind face that is reaching out to you and longing and almost bending his ear just to hear the whisperings of your heart is a false picture of God. 
He is a gracious and generous Father. If God is that like moral X-factor judge in the sky just waiting for you to get another thing wrong, why would you ever want to come to him? Why would you ever want to reveal anything about your life? But what if God was already rushing towards you right now as a, a loving Heavenly Father? What if He is already moving towards you and all you need to do is just say the smallest of thing and He's like, I'm with you, I'm listening. What if you pray because you are already loved? What if you pray because you are already in His embrace? What if you pray, not because you're trying to work up to anything, but because in Christ you are already, excuse me for this, sitting on his lap. You are already with him. You might pray differently. He says this later, he says, it's a bit harsh if you're a dad in the room. He says, verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent you've got to understand this is in jesus day where like having a fish was clearly like quite a special thing i don't think anyone mike has never asked me for a fish um <laughs> he's asked me for a nintendo ds but like you know we've got to translate it into our day um he says um he said oh if he asks him for an egg likewise assume other things will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil talking just to normal dads like, basically, you know there's selfishness in your heart. Like, no, I don't want to spend another 30 quid on you. It's going to ruin it in, in a week's time. Like, why would I give you that? Sorry, it's my inner thoughts coming out loud there. I shouldn't have. <laughs> why did I say that, Daniel? <laughs> if you, though, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, the one who is utterly perfect and pure and infinitely generous towards you. And if you ever doubt it, you look at Jesus Christ. He has given you everything we're told in Romans 8, 31 and 32 in Jesus Christ. You doubt that the Father wants to give you anything, look, he has given you Christ. Infinite glory in Jesus is yours because of Jesus Christ. He has given you everything, so why would he not then give you just a few extra things? Isn't that good counsel? I was like, oh, I can, I'd like to do that. Like, uh, I'd like to be happy in God, an infinite source of joy. Uh, yeah, teach me how to do that. I, that's what I want to pursue. So you don't read the Bible, you don't pray in the morning because you've got to tick some box of like, oh, I've got to pray because Daniel did this talk on prayer and like, it's a thing apparently we do at this church. <laughs> like, no, because I want to be happy in God. I want to know my father. I want to know the extent of his generosity. I want to know how much he's lavished on my life. I want to know what, all this, what is the glory in Jesus Christ for me. And we live from that place. So in the morning, and I would suggest, and I know some people would say, like, I'm an evening person, I'm a morning person, whatever. But from experience, whether you're a morning or an evening person, you, you have to do something in the morning to arrest your soul. Because just talking with people, and like, if you don't arrest your soul in the morning and get a hold of your soul and place yourself before the presence of God, whether you do the bulk of your time with God later in the day or whatever, unless you do that morning moment, I think the rest of the day is too hard and the rest of the day just overwhelms you. Every morning, just get hold of your soul. Psalm 103 says, don't forget the benefits that the Lord gives you. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. So every morning, like your body might be awake, like you've got to like, slap your soul awake my soul like remember what the, who the Lord is remember his blessings and then get happy in God amen and then secondly out of this place of happiness in God we pray your kingdom come this flows out of praying for the father so with the father to pray for the kingdom to come is very simply to pray that in our city and in our nation and around the world, wherever our influence spreads in Mumbai or Pune, even, even to Hull, that the, we are asking that within the cities of this world, God would establish his kingdom. And it's small and it's invisible at points, and we struggle to see the signs of the kingdom of God, but we are praying that what is small in these moments will grow and grow and grow so that the influence and the reign of King Jesus would be established and made visible here on 
earth. It is praying that for what is normal right now in terms of injustice and sin and spiritual numbness would be reversed and a spiritual awakening would break out and justice would be known and King Jesus would be followed because he is the true source of living joy. We are praying for the kingdom of God to come wherever we go. I want to lay out six things, and they are just bullet points as to what it means to pray for the kingdom of God. To pray for the kingdom of God is to pray that the will of Jesus is done in London. In Matthew, he records this about Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray your kingdom come, wherever I'm going, would your will be done here in my workplace? Because there's gossip, there's greed. I've heard about stealing in the workplace. I'm asking that your will would be done. Beauty would be restored. Your culture, your will, your reign would come into this place. Wherever I go, even as you're walking onto the tube, say, Lord, would your will be done here? There are lives that are broken, that are living in chaos right now. You may not know them, but you're praying, Lord, would your will be done in, in this place, in these lives? Secondly, to pray for the kingdom of God is to pray that the culture of heaven that is right now, the glory, the beauty, the peace of heaven would be established here in London. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that for all that is happening that is right and good and beautiful and ordered, the utopia of heaven would be made known now here on earth. They're big prayers. I understand this. Like, Lord, would you reverse the brokenness of this city and bring about the culture of heaven? Thirdly, to pray for the kingdom to come is to pray that the people who are far from God would come to know Jesus. Colossians 1, 13, 14 says, He has delivered us, God has delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It's to simply pray, Lord, would you open up this person's eyes so that they might see a fresh kingdom that they can be a part of. And the king of this kingdom is Jesus. Fourthly, to pray for the kingdom is to ask that the signs of the kingdom would be made known. Miracles and healings, financial breakthroughs, miracles that would point to the fact that Jesus reigns here. This is what we want even when we gather like this. That if you are not a believer, if you're outside of the church and you're not part of the church, you come in, you think, I can see signs of a different way of life in here. This feels different to me. They are signs of the kingdom of heaven. Fifthly, to pray Pray for the kingdom of God is to pray for the presence of God to be known wherever you go. Jesus said this amazing thing. He said whenever he went, he would often teach about the kingdom of God. And he would often say the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your ways and come join my kingdom. Why did he keep saying the kingdom of God is at hand? Because Jesus was literally there in front of them. Because wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of God went. And wherever we go because of the spirit of Christ that's within us, the kingdom of God goes. So if you're in Christ and you go to work, wherever you are, the kingdom of God is there. You live, wherever you live, your neighbours are very close to the kingdom of God because you live next to your neighbour. And we pray, Lord, would your presence be known. Sixthly, we pray for the kingdom of God. We are praying for the future world of beauty and peace, the world that will finally be the eternal, everlasting world on this earth will be ushered in now into the pain and the chaos. We're saying, Lord, would that final age be made known now? Would you usher in the future age into our age now? Karl Barth, who was one of the most influential theologians of the last century, he says this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Or we might say to bow the knee in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. To set the alarm early to pray is to start an uprising against the disorder of this world. To gather together and pray and fast on the first Wednesday of every month is to start an uprising against the disorder and the pain and the brokenness and the sin of this world. And that's the kind of uprising I want to be involved in, amen? Yeah. It looks weak, 
but it has this amazing capacity to do an eternal work in London. One of our issues is that we get very quickly adjusted to the way things are. Like, we just get used to life, oh, we're just busy. We're just like crazy busy and we just head down, we just got to get through the week and you're kind of like, I haven't got time to think about an uprising against the brokenness of this world. Like, I've just got to get through my week. Martin Luther King Jr., he was accused of being maladjusted. Um, I don't know how many times, I don't know, but by friends. Like, almost you've taken things too far, you are maladjusted. And in a speech that he gave, he spoke about being maladjusted. And I've, I feel this for us today as Christians, that there is a determination in our heart to be maladjusted to the way things are in our age. And I wish I could speak like him, but I can't, but you know, like, I would like to say to you today, in a very honest manner, that there are some things in our society and some things in our world to which I am proud to be maladjusted. And I call, call upon all men of goodwill to be maladjusted to these things until the good society realizes it. I must honestly say to you that I never intend to adjust myself to racial segregation and discrimination. I never intend to adjust myself to religious bigotry. I never intend to adjust myself to economic conditions that will take necessities from the many to give luxuries to the few, leaving millions of God's children smothering, smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society. I will not be adjusted. And I think the true heart of a prayer that says your kingdom come is a determination that I will not be adjusted to the injustices of this world. I will continue to pray that the Lord's kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I will be stubborn, stubbornly, spiritually maladjusted so that this world will be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I know it's not easy. I know in moments like this, it can feel like, but I know it's not easy. I've reflected on my life. I'm now a full-time pastor. I mean, what job would be easier to pray than being a full-time pastor? But honestly, as I've reflected on my life and the narrative of my life from being like 17 and starting to follow Jesus, I, I think actually prayer has become harder. I was reflecting, I think, two things for me. One, the amount of distractions. I didn't have an iPhone when I was 17, and I kind of long for those days again, if I'm honest. And I didn't have as many responsibilities. And we're living in a totally distracted age, and for most of us in this room at your stage of life, there are a lot of responsibilities that you have that just crowd your brain. It's hard, but I'm asking for us, would we create a legacy together? Would we help build into a reputation even of prayers? Will you come to the Father? Will you determine to know the Father as a good Father over your life, strong and generous and gracious? Will you determine to be stubbornly maladjusted to the ways of this world and pray your kingdom come? Amen. Amen. I want us to pray. And if the band can come up. What we're going to do, I just want to pray for a few moments and just settle your hearts just for a moment. Bring your hearts to Jesus. I just want to ask you just to reflect on this question. What is the God that you come to like, even in your mind right now? We're told that we have spiritual eyes. Look, look at his face right now. Who is the God that you are coming to? Is he the God of your imagination or the influence of your earthly father? Or is he the God of the Bible? Heavenly Father.
I want to pray for us. And what I'm going to do after that is ask you to stand and we're going to just say the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to read it. We're going to pray it. And then we're going to worship and sing the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray as we sing. And sing as we pray. We're going to ask that the Lord would do this. Father, I thank you for the gift of this teaching, Lord. I thank you. Thank you that we have access to you. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room now who's struggling with the idea of prayer still, maybe they're not a Christian, maybe they are a Christian, they're still, they look at you and they just see that scowl. Lord, would you wash us by your Holy Spirit that we would know your nature, your true nature? Would we know who you are? Would we know the reality of who you are, Lord God? Would you wash us clean with a biblical vision of your face, of your presence? And Father, would you stir up in us a stubborn, stubbornness in our heart to be maladjusted to the ways of this world? That we might seek your kingdom. Lord, would you touch the deep parts of our soul, I pray. Lord, would from this place a a prayer movement roll out. Jesus. Wherever we are, there would be this zoning in of prayer. The angels would be paying attention on the Jubilee line, on the bus, in the car on the way to work, on the way to school. This angels paying attention because that church, they're praying yeah. in all the corners of London. They are praying and they are seeking the kingdom and we must pay attention. People are asking, Jesus, look on, listen, hear these prayers. Would you answer these prayers with these bowls full of incense be filled up again and again and this outpouring over the city that we love come upon us, Lord God, and our friends and our families and our acquaintances, Lord God, in the wealthiest of quarters, in the poorest of quarters. Lord, would your kingdom come come we ask and would it be ushered in through our part in our praying in our doing in our willingness to stand in the gap between what is now and what can be Lord God I pray please Lord let's stand together we're just going to pray this prayer together and then we're going to sing it together so let's pray with me our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forevermore. Amen.